fun topic. It's not an easy topic for a lot of people to talk about. It's not an easy topic to even study and preach about, um, particularly for myself and others. I think a lot of times it's very telling of where we're at in our lives. Um, I'm going to start with a story. This thing looks like it's going to fall on me. It's going to be fun. I'm going to start with a story. There's this woman who travels abroad. She goes to Paris without her husband. She goes with some friends. And she comes across, and she's in this store, and she sees this necklace, this piece of jewelry that is just absolutely breathtaking. And no joke, she, for this woman, this was kind of like this, this necklace of her dreams. This is something that she's been wanting and visioning her entire life. It cost about $7,500. So she sends her, her husband a message and says, Husband, dearest, dearest husband, love of my life, my better half. I'm probably adding a few things. She asked him, can I have this necklace? It's only $7,500. And he quickly responds, no, that's too much money. No, too much money. Unfortunately, you may have made this mistake when you're sending a message quickly. You might forget something here or there. So the message actually came back, no, too much money. He forgot a very important piece in that message, a little tiny comma. So she's like, yes, he's letting me have this. And she's excited. She buys this thing. And this unfortunate husband went into a coma because he forgot that comma, okay? Now, obviously, this is a silly story, and it's an old story because I actually had to replace text messages with, you know, other, uh, other things. But imagine this happening to you. Imagine this happening to you or maybe somebody that you know that possibly doesn't have this grasp on their finances, and, and, and they, they have this issue with their finances, and, and something like this happens that's going to put somebody in a lot of hurt. And more than likely, even if you have a good grasp on your finances, $7,500 purchase is probably going to put a little bit of a dent in your, your bank account. And um, so we're going to talk about this topic this morning of finances. And I'm going, to, I'm going to come right out and say it myself. I'm not an expert at this. I look around this room, and there's probably several of you that should be doing this message before myself because I know you have a better grasp on it and an understanding, and you've applied these principles probably longer than I've been alive in some cases. So what I'm going to do, just like I did a few weeks ago when I, I, I shared with you a message on relationships, I told you, look, I'm not a, an expert at that either. But what I'm doing and what I'm hoping to do throughout this entire sermon series, which we're actually concluding today, is I want to rely on the scriptures heavily. So you'll see me relying on a lot of passages this morning through Proverbs, and you'll see me jumping around in other books as well. Um, and just like we did a couple weeks ago as well, I actually open up our time with a teaching of Jesus to help kind of put this, this foundation on this topic. So we'll do that today as well. Um, so you're going to, I didn't, you know, you're not going to see, I'm not going to say, hey, open up your, your Bibles to Proverbs 4, because we're going to be jumping all over the place. It'd probably be best um, if you uh, follow along on the screen. But I want to start with Matthew chapter 6. This is probably a very familiar passage to many of us, but Matthew chapter 6 um, says these words, starting in verse 19. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But 
Lay up your, yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A couple verses later in verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So I think those are some very wise words from Jesus. And I think the, uh, this passage, and then really related to that a few verses later, we see these very, very familiar words. And depending on your translation, it might read, do not be anxious or do not worry about these things, these earthly things. And that's really what he's talking about there. So he's reminding us that our money, our possessions, the things that we have, it is all from God, as we talked about with the kids just a moment ago. It's him who provides and preserves these things and preserves it in us. And, of course, because of that, our responsibility and our response is to keep him first in our, in our, 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 our direction. So I want to focus really on five principles that are scattered throughout the Proverbs. And there are more than that, but I wanted to focus on, on just a handful and uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll also rely on a lot of the other scriptures to kind of help validate some of these things. Years and years ago, I went through the entire book of Proverbs chapter by chapter, and I wrote some things about it. And one of the things I wanted to do was pull out a handful of, of specific Proverbs and then pull some scriptures from the New Testament because those allowed us to validate some of these principles uh, because we talked about that earlier where these are really just advice from a father to a son, and, and we, they're not always promises. But when we can validate that from Scripture, Scripture interprets Scripture. So I think that's important for us to do that. So before we get there, let's identify our main idea. And I'm going to stick with this, this foolproofing theme. So foolproofing our finances is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. So I want to kind of take a quick moment to understand that phrase just a little bit better. Um, I, I, I came across a source this week that said that about 11 of 39 of Jesus' parables spoke about money. 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus recorded and that we have recorded talks about money. Now, realistically, if you look at that statistic, it's a little bit misleading because when you go back and review them all, he uses it as an illustration, more so as a, you know, directing directive towards money. He uses it as an illustration to illustrate a lot in respects to the kingdom of God. So he, Jesus himself used money to illustrate what we see in the kingdom of God. And I think that what we see and what we have seen frequently is that in all what we do, we must seek him first just like we saw in that, um, that principle. And we'll see that here in a moment as well. So how we handle our finances really is an indication of how and what our relationship is with Jesus. And I think that's one of the key principles that we'll see today. And obviously, the way we handle our finances should be no different than the way we pray or the way we read or the way we handle and, and deal with other people. They're all spiritual issues. One of the issues that we have in our society today, that's across the board, is, is we compartmentalize a lot of the things that we do. Our church life is here, our work life is here, our family life is here, our finances are here. And what the Bible teaches us regularly is that all those things are of and under God. So with that, let's jump into our first principle, and that is simply this, put God first. 
We've got to put God first when it comes to our finances. Moments ago, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, so I want to pull out verse 33, which helps us to see that clearly once again. So Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I realized actually this morning as I was reviewing the sermon, I was like, man, I, I actually memorized that in the King James Version somehow. I didn't read the King James very often as I was younger, but somehow I memorized that in the King James So Jesus is saying that when we put other things before the kingdom, before our Lord, we're not going to rid that anxiety we have over our finances, the anxiety that we have over our balances of our checkbooks. And unfortunately, in those times where we're having that focus on those areas, we're actually dishonoring the Lord in those times. Proverbs 3.9 says it this way. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So this idea of first fruits, it's really a matter of priority. So this is a principle of priority. And this idea of first fruits is really that first thing that you get, that first crop that, that sprouts. That's the first fruit. And realistically, when we look at it in Solomon's days, that's their currency, that's how they, they, they traded and purchased things is with their first fruits and with their produce. Today, obviously, that would be like our paychecks or any other form of income that we have coming in that helps us to make a living. So the idea there is are we given from the top line or are we pulling the scraps from the bottom? And the, the principle is that we need to pull from the top line. Think about uh, Genesis chapter 4. One of my favorite accounts because it, it really helps us to see this very clearly. This is a story of Cain and Abel, as you're probably familiar with. Cain did not give of his firstborn flock as his brother Abel did. And we all know the result of that is Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God, but Cain's was not, and Cain was jealous and hit his brother with a rock, which I'm sure a few of you have done as well. This had different results. So the reason we give to God first is because it is his. All that we have belongs to him. Psalm chapter 24 verse 1 says this, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The NLT, the New Living Translation, it summarizes it like this, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in it is the Lord. So the problem for many of us is, again, we, we generally, myself included, concern ourselves over a lot of other things before we concern ourselves of the things of God. And I think one of the important things to, to understand here as well is that what we do, how we go about doing things, is evidence of putting God first in our lives. So if we're doing the right things, that shows that we're doing that. Uh, I came across a, a really good article this morning or this week, and the author says that there's really these there's five actions that Christians can take that show that we're putting God first in our lives. So I'm going to go through them real quickly here. First thing is we tithe. Again, that goes back to that first fruits idea, and the tithe at the time and, and really how we understand it today is really a guideline for us. It's a guideline for us that helps us to understand how we are to give. And we talked about this already, but these first fruits, where are those first fruits going? Next thing we see here is that we provide for specific needs. 
We're going to talk about that in a little bit when we get to one of our other principles. And then here's another one here that's, that's really important, and that's that we get out of debt and we stay out of debt. If you really think about it, when, when we read about finances and Christian you know, specialists and any financial specialist, a common, common trouble with personal finances is debt, if not one of the primary. So once we get into debt, the harder and harder it is to get out of debt. And I'm sure many of us have experienced that. It can take years to get out of debt if you're in too deep. Dr. Tony Evans, one of my favorite teachers, says this. There's three types of people. He says there's the haves. There's the have-nots, and then there's the have-not-paid-for-what-they-have. And I think that's really true. Christian financial expert Dave Ramsey, he says this about debt. He says, if you're in debt, you don't have the freedom to use your money the way you want. And as we looked at last week about the heart, that kind of correlates directly with that idea because the things we want should be the things of the Lord but if we're in debt, we struggle against those things. Ramsey would tell you that there's no such thing as good debt. Others would argue that maybe mortgages are good debts, or maybe some other debts might be considered good. It really doesn't matter what's considered good or not. Bottom line is limiting and eliminating debt quickly is essential to staying out of debt. Proverbs 22.7 warns this. It says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Again, if you're in debt now, or if you've been in debt, you know that to be true. You know, you see a, a phone call come over your, your phone, and you're concerned it's a, it's a collector, if you've been in that deep. Next thing we see here is that um, one of the, the proofs is that we live contently. We live contently. And think about that, too, and go back to Matthew 6 and read that this week, maybe as an opportunity to kind of see that more clearly. But if we live contently, that means that we're comfortable. And, and, and are we, and it really means that we're not concerned about having the latest thing, right? Are you concerned about having that latest iPhone or that, that newest model of your car? Are we worried and con- concerned because our neighbor seems to have it all and we're not and we don't? Those are the things that if we concern ourselves over those things, that means we're not living contently with what the Lord provides. And the next thing, the next proof, if you will, is that we don't fret about the finances. This is not possible without these other things. It really isn't. It's a result of all the things that we just spoke about. And I don't know about you, but if you really think hard about it, I would rather be concerned about God and my relationship with him, about my neighbor and my relationship with them, then I'd be concerned about my bank account or my debts or anything like that. So let's talk about this next action, and that's to be generous. We need to be generous with what we do have. And we, uh, we obviously already learned this, but as a reminder, it's the Lord who provides. And as such, that means we need to give back. And we not only have to be generous with what we give back to him, but we also have to be generous with what we give back to others maybe the poor, or maybe somebody who's in need. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 reads this way. One who gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. 
and one who waters will himself be watered. How about Proverbs 14.21? Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. One of, my, one of the most striking verses I came across this week comes from just a little bit later in, in ch- verse 31 of chapter 14. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Think about that. If we've ever scoffed at somebody and, and didn't lend our help, if we were able to do so, it says here that it insults God. That's not a place where I want to be. Paul confirms this in 1 Timothy to his young, uh, uh, you know, young man, uh, Timothy, this young pastor. He, he says that to him in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In verse 18, he says this. I'm not sure if I included it or not. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So Paul is even telling Timothy and this young church that they also need to be generous with what they have. Proverbs 21:13 gives a warning against this very principle. It says that we need, it says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. There's a, there's a cause and effect that we see if we're not generous with others. It may come back to bite us in the you-know-what. And we can go on and on. We can pull out a lot of principles all throughout the Scriptures. I'm, you know, one of the principles that came to mind was 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If you've ever spent any time in that book, you'll see that there's so much there about being generous and giving to others. But I'm, I'm assuming here that you get the message. And what we've seen is that not only is, is giving and being generous to others, is it honoring to God, but it's also a blessing to those who you help. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that we need to love our neighbor. This is one of those principles about loving your neighbors. Think about early on in the pandemic. There were some cases where there was a lot of people being very generous. You know, that, that great toilet paper shortage of 2020 you know i can recall people posting on these websites like ah, i don't have any tp and there was a lot of people who jumped in and dropped a, a roll or two or three on the doorstep of a needed person and i know that's a silly example but you know there were times where we were generous with what we had and that's the generosity that we're kind of talking about in a, in a in a simple situation so when we're able we give to others. And again, going back and thinking about 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that was really one of the biggest frustrations Paul had with the Corinthian church is that they wouldn't give. But a church that was in need, they did give. And they gave freely. And they followed their instructions from their, from their pastor, from their leader, from their shepherd. But the Corinthian church did not. Next and very essential aspect to biblical financial success is a simple principle, and it's this, work hard. Got to work hard. And I look around this room, and there's, I, I see what you all do and what you have done in your careers, and it's very evident of how blessed and how fruitful you are. Proverbs 6, verses 10 and 11 says, A little sleep, a little slumber, 
a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This principle was very important to Solomon, and we know that because if we look at chapter 24, verses 33 and 34, it's the same exact proverb. Say it maybe a different way, chapter 28, verse 19 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Do you know anybody like that who follows these pointless and worthless things? All they're doing is stacking up their debts and, and they're, they're searching after things that will make them happy temporarily. Paul warned the Thessalonians of this very issue in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says, For even when we are with you, you would give this, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat, Paul says. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. A little sarcasm from Paul. You've got to enjoy that. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Paul's saying don't just sit there and expect others to, to, to feed you. You've got to go out and feed yourself because you're able to do so. The concept of hard work, it's not new. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and we can see that clearly. The first job that was presented on this earth as we know it was Adam taking care of the garden. Hard work is not something that's new. And this might surprise you. I'm not a farmer. But I do know this about farming. Usually farmers are the, they're, they're up very early in the morning. And they usually are working all day long, dust to dawn kind of situation. They, they're usually working all day, and their work is physical. I would not last like 10 minutes. Their work is physical. It's hard work, and it's, it's excruciating work. It's hard work. It's intensive. It's physical, but it's necessary for them. And I think we all know why. It's necessary for them because if they don't work hard, they're literally not getting that fruit. They're not getting that produce. They're not getting what they're, what they're telling. The rewards come from the work that they're doing. And that's what we see here. Next one here is to be smart. You need to be smart. Now, this doesn't mean you have to have a PhD, a doctorate, a, a master's, even a college degree. This doesn't mean that you need to be brilliant. It, it means that we need to be understanding of what we have. And I think Proverbs 27 is a really good example of this. Verse 23, and Solomon really in this, in this passage, and we'll see the full passage in a few moments, he talks about this idea of having a firm understanding of what you have. And further than that, plan accordingly with that money and with those possessions. So verse 23 says this, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. And again here, just like what we saw earlier with the produce, the flock of the shepherd was, again, one of those areas that was really a big part of their general currency. So Solomon wasn't just saying to take care of your puppy. He was saying take care of what you have, understand what you have, and the value that this thing has. It was more about managing and warning against losing control of what you do have. Dave Ramsey said it this way, 
Know the conditions of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. If you don't manage your money, lack of money will always manage you. If we're chasing, then that's what's managing. That's what we're lording. That's what's lording over us, as we saw earlier. There's another warning that we see in the Proverbs about this, and it's in uh, Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And what Solomon's doing is he's shifting his idea here is not only do we have to work hard and we have to be generous and we have to be smart about what we have, but we also have to be honest in how we get it. There's a matter of integrity. That word hastily that we see here in the ESV, it actually means and should be translated by fraud. So if we were to read that literally, it says wealth gained by fraud will dwindle. We have to be honest about what we earn. We have to be honest about what we do to make that money that we're making. Proverbs 1.19 warns against this as well. It says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. In context, if you recall from Pastor Pat's opening sermon in the series, Solomon's talking about the way of the wicked. He's talking about the way of the foolish. And, and we can really see both the foolish and the wicked were both, they were essentially the same thing as, as Solomon was writing these, these uh, proverbs. So this generally characterized these wicked and these foolish were essentially the same. The principle comes down to, again, this idea of personal integrity and personal responsibility over the possessions that God has blessed us with. And we, we, if we take shortcuts, if we're dishonest, one, it's simply unwise, but more than that, it really dishonors the Lord and what he has provided for us. Think about the account in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. They were dishonest with their money, and they lied to the church. And God himself said, you didn't just lie, but you lied to the Spirit. And they were punished for that greatly thinking about some people who haven't uh, had a good handle on their finances back in my payroll and human resources days. I don't know how many times I've had to put out fires in respects to people with payroll mistakes. Payroll mistakes are pretty big deal. Sometimes people got mispaid because somebody put an extra zero or an extra decimal where they shouldn't have put it, just like that guy who went into coma over that comma earlier. But what ends up happening is we have to collect that money back because they were overpaid. And no more times than not, they didn't have that money to give back because somebody was already taking their money from their accounts. So as soon as that money hit their account, a garnishment came through, a collector came through, other deductions came through, auto payments that hadn't been collected previously. Next thing you know, a you know, $1,000 overage was already gone before we even discovered it. And obviously those were difficult times and it took weeks and months to collect that money again. And if you think about it, and this ties directly into our next principles, because they weren't prepared and they didn't have any of the, anything extra to help them along when it came to this issue. And that is the next point. The next point here is to be prepared. We're to be prepared for when something happens, right? Preparation allows us really to worry less about what we do have. It takes us right back to what we saw in the opening of not being anxious and not worrying over what we have. 
chapter 27, it kind of helps us along, and, it, and again, it, it helps us to see this clearly. I'm going to read again verse 23, and we'll take that through verse uh, 27. Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. And then he goes on to say, for riches do not last forever, and it does a crown endure to all generations. And when the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats a price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food and the food of your household and maintenance for your girls. Right? He's saying we, the, the, la, the, the riches will not last forever. You must prepare for what you need for the future. And I know of a couple of families that are dealing with that right now because their relatives did not plan accordingly. And now they are dealing with the repercussions of those issues. And it's very stressful, and it's very unfortunate. So realistically, retirement is possible for many, but for others, it's not even within reach because they may have not saved for the future, or they may not have a plan that they put forward, or they might have too much debt where it's impossible to do. Leaving something for your children or your children's children. There's a proverb that talks about the blessings to leave for your children and your children's children. That may not be possible if somebody's sitting on too much debt or if they haven't planned for the future. Now here's another example that we see back in Genesis as well. And there's a large chunk in Genesis that's focused on the, the ministry of Joseph. And it's a fantastic story. I love the story of Joseph. And in chapters 41 through 47, we read of his plan against the famine that was coming upon Egypt. And Joseph knew of this plan because he was able to interpret the dream that Pharaoh had. So in chapter 41, we read these words, and we can see what this plan was. Chapter 41 of Genesis says these words here, Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers for the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that they are coming and store grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let him keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. So this was a long-term plan to get them through a long period of need. And, and if we jump all the way to chapter 47, we won't go through the exact uh, scriptures there, but if we jump a lot over to chapter 47, we see that not only did this plan work, and it saved the people of Egypt, but it also saved Joseph's family who were also suffering from this famine when he was able to take care of their needs. The same family that gave them up, that gave him up to Egypt as a slave. And it was through the wisdom that God provided to him and his ability to make this plan that was able to make this work. And unfortunately, many of us don't plan for a rainy day. And when that rainy day hits, it becomes a significant issue in their lives. Pastor and teacher Kevin DeYoung, he says that in the, in the respects of, of the relationship of God and money, he says that here, here's what people need to understand. He says, you can't understand the biblical view of money unless you're prepared to accept a number of truths held in tension. The first point he makes is this. He says, you'll probably acquire more money if you work hard and are full of wisdom. 
But if you all you care about is getting more money, you are the biggest fool. Kevin's words, not mine. Money is a blessing from God, he continues, but you'll be more blessed if you give it away. He says, God gives you money because he is generous, but he is generous with you so you may be generous with others. And if you're generous with your money, God will likely be more generous with you. It is wise to save money, but don't ever think money gives you real security. There's a balance there. And he says this, and he wraps it up this way, wealth is more desirable than poverty, but wealth is not as good as righteousness, humility, wisdom, good relationships, and the fear of the Lord. I think he summarized that very nicely. And hopefully you've seen, and we've seen this morning, that the, the through, throughout all these scripture references, and there's so many more, this could have been a three-hour sermon, but I know you would not have lasted, because I don't think I would have lasted, that foolproofing your finances is a spiritual issue. And as we mentioned earlier, every area of our lives, which includes our finances, is a spiritual issue. So maybe, maybe you're currently sitting on a lot of debt, Maybe you've made some really poor financial decisions in your life. And, and, and if this does describe you, maybe God's talking to you right now and saying, hey, you need to do something about this. So I'm going to give you just a few things that I think you can do probably today that may help you to get through that. First thing is this, and this is real quick, and we're going to wrap up in just a few moments. If you already have one, review it. If not, you need to create a budget. If you already have one, you've got to go back and review it. But if you don't, you need to create a budget and really understand what changes need to be made in my life. And two, are there things that we're focused on that are wants versus needs? It's a very simple thing that you can do. Second thing here is you need to pay off all unnecessary debt. You need to pay off all unnecessary debt. We saw this earlier. Debt limits what we're able to do. Simple as that. And we need to make sure that we're not being slaves to the lender. Third thing here is track your spending. Okay, that, that includes Amazon, guilty, right? That includes coffee, right? You, you might think that, you know, a, a Dutch Brothers coffee every single morning is not that big of a deal. It's only a handful of dollars. Or maybe, you know, Dunkin'. I don't say Starbucks anymore because people tend not to like Starbucks that much anymore. But it does, obviously, as you all know, it adds up over time. Those delivery fees from DoorDash or Uber Eats, those add up too. All these things we can really cut back on, and essentially what we're doing is we're giving our money back to ourselves in a, in a, in a small uh, way. And then finally, we do need to save. Saving's not that security that we need to, to, to balance on, but we do know that it is important for us to save. Um, and, and, and even if you don't have a lot, give God first, take care of your, your finances, your bills, and all those things, and then whatever little is left, save it if you can. Just a little bit at a time obviously helps. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say it again. I said it earlier. I'm not an expert, and I will never claim to be one. But I can tell you what, in my personal opinion, we have a lot of experts that are attending our church regularly, who lead in our church regularly. We have bankers, former bankers, we have bookkeepers, we have business owners, former CPAs, former business leaders, 
we have so many people right here in our body that are very, very good at understanding finances. And I'm assured that they would be more than happy to help you. I know of some people here that have counseled others, that have lent their ear and their assistance to make sure that they can help others as best they can. And they do it in a loving way, not because they have to, but they want to see people to live in financial security and honor God. And that's really why they do it. And I know if you reach out to anybody, they'll be happy to help you with that. But here's what I'll tell you. That means you're going to have to be honest. Yeah, it means you're going to have to show them your books. It means you're going to have to be honest at your spending habits. Be vulnerable and open and honest. Otherwise, if you're holding back, they're not going to be able to help you. And I'm, unfortunately, that's been a story that we've heard many times. That means we need to make sacrifices. That means we need to put some of the work in to really make our finances work. So my question to you is this. Are you ready to honor God with your finances? Let's pray. Father, this is not an easy subject. Aside from specific type of pastors, I don't think a lot of pastors like to talk about money too much. And I know it's uncomfortable for some of us to hear who might suffer from debt or other financial issues in their lives. But I I pray, God, that, that your word was proclaimed enough for us to hear and listen, to understand, God, that you do have a plan for us and our finances. Help us to see that this does belong to you and that we need to honor you, God, with what we have because you provided it all, and we're so grateful for that. And there's some who have much, and there's some who have little, but we know that you have provided what we need, and we are going to put our trust in you and know that you're going to provide for our needs, just, be, just as you do with the lilies in the field and the, and, the, and the birds in the air. You provide their needs, and they are not as valuable as you see us. So we honor you, God, and we ask that you help us to honor you with our finances, with our habits, help us to get out of debt if we need to, help us to take back control of what we, what we have and make sure that we are, are honoring you in doing so. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.